0: Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brand. When Apple released the iOS 14.5 update that limited tracking visibility on its devices, direct-to-consumer brands had to pivot. John Sheldon, Chief Marketing Officer of oral Health Brand Smile Direct Club, shifted his organization's focus by embracing less granular metrics such as engagement and putting more budget into brand building channels. Today, Smile Direct Club, which launched in 2014 as ad 2 D-to-C teeth alignment product, has expanded its product line and physical footprint, both at its own retail locations and in Walmarts across the country. According to Sheldon, the moment to move from disruptor brand to challenger brand has arrived. In this episode, Sheldon also chats about how he operates his social media team like a newsroom and how Smile Direct Club lives up to its brand purpose. I'm your host Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, John. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, for hosting me.
0: Awesome. So, talk to me about Smile Direct Club. Obviously, um, I know it as a D2C teeth alignment brand, right? Of which there are a couple of players in the space. But talk about the the brand and sort of like how it's positioned in the marketplace. How does it work?
1: Sure. Smile Direct Club exists to help uh, more customers uh, understand the power that comes from having a smile that they love. And we've launched our business originally as a direct-to-consumer brand. Obviously, doctors have been involved since day one in in the process. They prescribe teeth straightening treatment, et cetera. We've since surrounded our teeth straightening with oral care products that we sell through 14,000 locations in the United States and Canada, those can help you whiten, clean, and uh, you know otherwise enhance your smile with better health. Uh, with our, for example, the water flosser product as well. And so you know, really, our intention is to be a brand that's focused on on people's oral health holistically. But certainly, the tent pole for the business is the teeth straightening business.
0: Mm-hmm. So I know, like Smile Direct Club, there was a time around when you guys launched right back in in 2014 that there was all these DTC. Teeth product brands that came out like quip and um invisalign had been a player for a while but talk a little bit about how like the brand has evolved over time in terms of like the evolution of direct to consumer the evolution of the the competitor landscape and and all of that
1: yeah i mean first just to tackle the evolution of the competitive landscape is Short short version is we've won. Uh you know, and and uh you know, obviously Invisalign is still an important player and they sell it directly through orthodontists and some dentists. But really, um, you know, we've built out that direct to consumer channel. We've built out our partner network now, where we also sell through uh, a network of you know over a thousand dental locations, where you can get started. And of course, you can always go to one of our smile shops uh, and and you know start the process there as well. And so, you know, from a competitive standpoint, the business is really hard because of some of the regulatory components of it, because of just the process of of you know having the the AI to be able to develop these treatment plans to building your network of doctors. And so, uh, you know, we've been able to be successful in that and gotten to scale that allows us to do that effectively. However, uh, you know, I think, you know, beyond, beyond us, the, the other folks have really, really struggled with that. Um, and you know, we look at, uh, you know, aided awareness of, of players in the space, uh, you know, we're, we're, neck and neck with the folks from Invisalign and then there's a ginormous gap before you start talking about any 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 of the other players. Mm. Um you know from an evolution standpoint, um I think the, the addition of new ways to get started is really really the story as we talk about T straightening right? Well when we founded the business, we founded the business on a impression kit. Um, where we would mail that to your home you would take the impressions mail them back to us and then uh, we would, we would create the treatment plan based on on those impressions and have you know the doctor would prescribe that treatment plan and uh, and and you'd be able to manage that uh, via remote teledentistry um, but you know in in the meantime we put up, put together our shops and then and then and then that partner network and all of that together is really about helping consumers start where they are right? Not everybody's ready to start, you know, just by, you know, shipping a kit and having it sit on your counter. Um, you know, some people want to spend $2,000, uh, want to talk to a person face to face and obviously, um, it's your teeth. And so some people are particularly, uh, you know, want to make sure that there's someone who has their back. And so starting with partner network is a, uh, is a really good, is a really good option for them.
0: Yeah. It's sort of, it's interesting, like the evolution from just the, the mail-in, teeth alignment kit to sort of more of like a lifestyle brand where you have stores, you have different products that consumers can buy. Um, I guess talk about how like as you've branched out right into brick and mortar, into these these sort of new channels, like how has your marketing mix changed?
1: Well, let's just start by talking about the oral care products and the value that that provides to our consumer. When I joined the company you know, I said, so what happens in that moment, right, where where the person pulls off that last aligner, and we've straightened their teeth, and this amazing thing has happened? And the answer was, we congratulate them and, and send them on their way. And, you know, as a lifetime value marketer, that killed me, right? <laughs> and so I'm so glad that we were able to kind of Pull together and develop a, a line of, of oral care products that that really help create a more end-to-end life cycle, um you know, for the consumer, right? Um, you know, we can, you know, they can be introduced via those oral care products, or they can continue their relationship with us through those oral care products, and of course, they can use them during treatment too. And so, for me, that was a really that was really powerful. But also, um, you know, having done this deal with Walmart and, and being in, in all their locations, you know, in some cases, we have seven linear feet inside of a Walmart, you know, highlighting our brand. And, and, you know, that that's a billboard that a hundred million people walk past every week, you know, for a newer brand in oral care, um, you know, that credibility is really valuable. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, love, love having, uh, that kind of visibility in, in those 14,000 locations, uh, you know, between all of our retailers in in the U S and Canada.
0: Yeah, for sure. So as you like, expand out into retail. Like what how do you sort of decide like, you know, when is the right time to open your own standalone store versus partnering with a big box like Walmart?
1: Yeah, I mean obviously when you think about the oral care products, you know, there there's a full aisle that they have there that a hundred million people walk past every week. Pretty clear answer that hey, that's a good place to start. Um, obviously, we've got our retail locations, uh, but they're very focused on really answering people's questions specifically around teeth straightening and and really that's the that's the focus there right when we when you, we've got somebody having a conversation about a two thousand dollar product, having a twelve dollar product conversation is is not you don't want to get distracted mm-hmm. by that right so uh, you know really we, we we try to balance those two things and again, as a d 2 c brand, we always have the website and now our app where you can you know learn more about all of our products and and uh, and make the purchases that you're interested in.
0: Yeah, so talk about D2C like when when Smile Direct Club and, and a bunch of other brands got started. It was a lot about Instagram, right? About kind of like posting on Instagram, having a certain aesthetic and driving commerce that way. Now, it really is about like TikTok has come into the picture in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, creators. I know that you've done some some interesting stuff there. So talk about your strategy on, on TikTok and how you leverage creators in, as a D2C.
1: Yeah, no doubt. We were one of the early players in kind of the Facebook D2C... You know, marketplace where where that was CPMS were fairly low, targeting was really easy, um, and we could uh, you know get a hold of our you know core customer you know pretty quickly, right? Obviously, with iOS fourteen five and any, any number of other things that have shifted in that landscape, you know we've had to broaden where we do our marketing, and you know I'm, clearly the growth of TikTok is a part of that, and as a as a brand that has. Um, you know, eighteen to thirty-four year old women is its core, you know a core target. Uh, TikTok is where they is where they spend their time right now, and so you know we needed to you know jump over and and be a part of the conversation there and and find ways to make our brand relevant. Um, you know, in in those environments. Um, you know, I think when I think about how we're operating in TikTok, um, I talk often about kind of three strategies. One is adaptation of our current. You know, advertising, uh, but making it you know appealing in the in the mode of, of TikTok. The second uh, is creators, and we do work a lot with creators. and And the criticality of that, and you know, where, where we know it works is when they're actually customers. Not we're not just borrowing equity, um, but they go through treatment. They talk authentically about their experience, and we want them to do that. Um, and then and then finally, you know, we've built up our own. Internal, uh, you know, voice, uh, you know, through a couple of our team members, uh, including a woman named Emily, which I, I've talked about uh, before, and and kind of having, you know, Emily, you know, find ways to make our brand relevant in in real time with whatever trend you know is going on 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 TikTok is 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 really fun, and, and she does a great job with that, and we built up you know on, you know many 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 followers on the back of her creativity and and the like.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. So. Talk about how you've been able to like build a team with that type of skill set as a marketer because I feel like at agencies as well as internally at, at brands, like everyone's sort of looking for these like creator types, right to sort of like run their run their social media accounts and have these really this ability to respond to trends quickly. Um, talk about like your approach to talent and building your team.
1: Yeah, before we talk about the talent, I think it's essential to talk a little bit about the 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 process of of creative development altogether. Sure. Right. The way I think about it is, you typically have two forms of creative in today's world. The first is I'll call studio creative. It's long lead time. It's extremely on brand. You're going to use it for 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 a long time. Um, It's really trying to be. Point, picture per- perfect on 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 your brand elements, all of that kind of stuff. Um, that takes you know a lot of planning to develop. The lead times are longer, et cetera. Then there's what I call the newsroom. So you have the studio and the newsroom. The newsroom is fast turn. It's reacting to things in real time. It's one brand said something that we have something else to say about it. Can we, you know, let's, let's say something, right. And you're just doing, looking for really fast and responsive, uh, you know, creative development that happens in the newsroom. It's a a little bit messier. It's a little more imperfect. However, it can be really relevant in the moment and the timeliness and the cleverness. And sometimes the rawness of that actually is the benefit of creating a relevance for your brand. And so, so first thing, before you start talking about how do you build a team, you just have to recognize that both of those forms of creative need exist for modern brands today.
0: Hmm. Now,
1: now you go build a team, right? You need to build your studio team to be able to, to, to build that long lead time. But, but you also need to build the processes, the guardrails, and the, and, and the actual team members that can operate the newsroom and, and, and be able to do that. That's a, that has to be a high-trust environment right you've got uh you've, you're you're basically suddenly letting somebody release something into the world with a, a much narrower much faster um set of approvals and so uh you know that newsroom environment is 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 one that we're still building out but you know mm. good news is we've got the right leaders that can can do that effectively
0: yeah it's super interesting i mean as you kind of build out these two types of teams that can that can tackle these creative Messaging, where do agencies fit in? Like, where do you? I know D2C brands are very big or were when they first launched about in-housing and doing a lot of things in-house. Is that a philosophy that you subscribe to? I know you've worked at big brands in the past. Like, talk about how you see agencies fitting into this. Yeah, I've, I've
1: worked at big agencies. I've been at Ogilvy, I was at BBH. Um, I worked for a, a performance marketing agency as, that was part of eBay. So, I have a good sense for what the professional services side of this looks like, you know. For for our brand, um, just given how young we are and how much we're learning at the speed that we're learning it, honestly, an agency, anytime we've tried to work with agencies, um, unless it's been a really tightly defined project, they've struggled to keep up because we're because you know to some extent, we're learning and pivoting on a regular basis. And having someone a lot closer to the business um, that understands the underlying need to make those pivots, the internal teams are just better equipped. To handle that now, the challenge with that is it's hard to get some specialized skills. Some people, you know, relish the idea of working on whatever six to ten, you know, accounts, and so keeping the business interesting enough for them uh, is really important. The good news is we've certainly done plenty of that, but but it is it is one of the challenges in retaining talent is making sure mm. that people feel like they're continuing to grow professionally um, in their career. When I think about the newsroom side of this, that has to be someone you have instant trust with. They have to be really close into the business. Um, So from my perspective, that must be, you know, really connected at the hip to the work that that that's being done at, you know, in our comms team for example. However, you know, obviously the third parties that we work with are people who can help us get connected to talent, creators, you know, folks that have kind of management platforms for working with creators at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not sure if I'd call those agencies or not, they probably think of themselves that way.
0: Yeah, interesting. So how, how do you kind of keep it interesting for the, for the talent that maybe like wants to feel like their career is growing? I know there's always sort of the debate of does talent want to work in-house or do they want to work at agencies? And what's sort of like the trade-offs of both? So like, how are you keeping it interesting for, for talent at Smile Direct Club?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with big opportunities early, right? Just giving people a chance to stretch regularly mm-hmm. and, and making sure that's top of mind. And so, uh, you know, we, we work really hard at doing that. If you go across the management team, you know, on, on them, you know, within marketing and our team now, there's a lot of folks who've kind of gone through two or three jobs internally before they've landed in the leadership role that they, they have today. And so that that opportunity for big opportunities early is important. Mm. The second is just generally, um, you know, helping them understand the ways in which you're asking them to stretch, Right. We're opening new markets, we're opening new channels, we're we're evolving our messaging. And I think, you know, we've had we've done all three of those in the last three years. And so I just think, you know, giving people a chance to understand, um, you know, the growth that's right in front of them in this business that is as dynamic as our business is, um, you know, does help retain retain talent.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm So talk a little bit about... I know you mentioned sort of like you, you just revised your positioning recently. And I think earlier you said it was something about like making everyone love their smile. I think I just butchered that, but... <laughs> um, no
1: worries.
0: Yeah. So I guess brand purpose obviously is like a big... Has become a big... It's really important, but it's also become a bit of a buzzword in the industry. And people kind of try to like have brands try to sometimes have a purpose that doesn't always resonate. Talk about how, you know, you've sort of come up with that positioning and you know why, how you bring it to life beyond with the products you sell and and beyond.
1: Yeah, so I, so I should have added to the end of my how do you keep it interesting for people is that connection to brand purpose. So thank you for bringing that up because the good news for us and we are very lucky is there is a very clear and obvious connection between people's lives being better and what we can do for them. Right. And, and what, what I try to do as a leader in the business is, uh, you know, work with the team to showcase all the ways that we're impacting our consumers' lives. And as a transformation brand, we are usually a part of a person's much larger transformation journey. And we point that out to the team. Like you can just look at our before and afters on our website and you can see this is a person going through a lot. They're losing weight. They're changing their hair. They're they're mo- moving from college to the professional world. They're re-entering the dating pool. All of these things are, are really evident in their social media posts and, and in their before and after stories. And, and so making sure you understand like, hey, we're just a part of this person's much bigger journey, but we might be the most visible part. And I try to do that a lot of different ways, but one of my favorite ways, it actually just happened uh, about half an hour ago, is every Monday, I send an email that the team compiles called Inspired by Why. And it's literally customer stories and reviews. Um, You know, about our business um, that are really, uh, you know, they share, they share with us or they share with the world in social media. And it just points out just how impactful our brand is in their lives and and, and going forward. And, and that's just one way that I, you know, I just really love that purposefulness. And so you're right. It's hard to do that with some, some other brands. I don't want to pick on any particular brand, but I, you know, we're very fortunate. To have that as a really important part of of what we're doing for consumers. And uh, truthfully, that was that was an essential part of why I decided to come to Smile Direct Club. Mm-hmm. Um, having worked at MasterCard and worked on financial inclusion, which was uh, an area near and dear to my heart, I just wasn't going to go to any company that didn't have that purposefulness in it. And for me, uh, this is this has been a great example of it.
0: Yeah. Well, talk about that a little bit. I mean, at MasterCard, you were working in an innovation role, right? So talk a little bit about like what you were doing there and then and then why the the transition to Smile Direct Club was the right move for you.
1: Yeah, so so the Mastercard role is a great role for me uh, and I really loved it. Um, but it was a ju- little bit of a jug handle. It was a, it was a, let me try this, right? I have always been involved in digital businesses, digital transformation of is for over 25 years, um, you know, starting literally at the dawn of the internet when when a colleague of mine says when the internet was made of wood. And so that <laughs> transformation, the digital impact to businesses has been something I've always touched. So I've always been a bit of the innovation person, helping either clients when I was on the professional services side or, or working from within companies, otherwise, to to. Kind of handle that digital transformation, and and so um, when this Mastercard opportunity came up, it was it was an opportunity to go to kind of around the table and say, okay, let me go to an organization and see how they innovate as an organization, you know, uh, you know, broadly, and and help run and manage that and build build up that capability, that muscle for for a you know major fortune, whatever it is, brand. And so, Mastercard Labs—the area I worked in inside of Mastercard—was a phenomenal opportunity. Great leaders and great executive support for you know building out uh, you know innovation and bringing uh, products to life. But you know I did a lot there, and I loved everything I did. But in truth, I'm, I'm a marketer at heart, and I wanted to get back in the marketing chair. Mm. And so, uh, so I, so I, you know, stepped out of that role at Mastercard um, and and back into the marketing seat.
0: So talk about like how you bring that innovation mindset. I also I. I saw on your LinkedIn you have a background with data as well, right? And you know, like you said transformation. So talk a little bit about how you apply that as a chief marketing officer like to the brand.
1: Yeah. So what's interesting is I, I took me a couple routes to figure out exactly what my right way into digital innovation was, and and this is when I was young in my career, and and what turned out to be the best version of that was really through a CRM lens, and and CRM of course has got a huge data layer and component yeah. to that, and and so in two thousand and one, myself and two colleagues at a at a consulting firm broke out and started our own company that. Now would be called a CDP company, but we didn't have that term then. And then, by the way, that company still exists up in Boston and does very well. And the, and the guys are super talented there. Um, but we formed customer portfolios, and I really, you know, we learned, you know, marketing data from the ground up, uh, you know, in the early days of of capturing all of this uh, all this insight about consumer behavior on our websites and 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 what have you. And uh, uh, it was a, it was a great experience for me, and that that quant side of of marketing has served me well i i had to kind of go learn the rest of it like learn brand learn customer experience uh you know from from a design perspective you know in later parts of my career but that that foundation that the core of my marketing experience is is a kind of crm cdp you know data first uh experience i mean what i do every day when i wake up first you know first five things i look at are all just deep dive Consumer behavior reports, right? I sometimes joke that I'm a customer data truffle pig, like looking for the nugget, <laughs> looking for those truffles that I can basically set the team off and 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 running on, um, to help you know to take advantage of of all the opportunity that uh, that consumer behavior in, in aggregate uh, provides.
0: Yeah. So, how does like that that kind of background in CRM and data, how does that inform your approach as a marketer? Like, I know. <laughs> D2C brands traditionally have been very performance-driven and and programmatic and social paid social-driven, but has that changed over time as as the brand has grown and has that like you know evolved kind of your approach to the brand as a marketer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, while I have a performance big performance background and and you know test and learn is an enormous part of my my ethos. Um, you, I also am a big believer in brands. Like I'm a Byron Sharp, how brands are built kind of person. About being mentally and physically available for your customer. About brand iconography. In my time here at Smile Direct Club, we've we've solidified our colors, our fonts, our, our audio watermark and mnemonic. You know, specific motion that that is distinctly ours. Um, you know, on top of of everything else, a character indeedy uh, Didi, who, who's in our in our challenger ads, you know, and so you know, really looking at all the ways you can build up that brand iconography, imagery consistency, um, you know, is really one part of it, and, and marrying that with the performance piece and all the work that you do. So it's not just about finding something performant, but it's got to be performant in a in a Byron Sharp style brand building way. And that, for me, is is a system that we've really worked hard to build in my four and a half years here at at Smile Direct Club. Now again, since iOS fourteen five and and the, and the um, a lot of the algorithmic engines getting a little bit more shielded and blinded, you know that hard hitting you know D to C work is a little bit harder to do, and so we've actually in many cases had to move a little bit up funnel, mid consideration in a lot of our marketing efforts. And so I, I often say that the most important thing a performance marketer can do today is build a brand.
0: Mm. We'll talk about that. I know iOS fourteen point five has has thrown you know a wrench in a lot of uh, not just D 2 C brands, but performance marketing plans in general. Um, talk about like how how is the impact of those changes impacting your investment strategy? Where are you shifting budgets? And when you say that like brand is super important right now, maybe talk a little bit about like how you're shifting the leads towards more of more brand building work than in the yep. past.
1: And part of that has to do with where we are in our evolution as a business, too. So, you know, everybody's going to have a little bit more of a unique experience. But, but obviously, the, we saw an immediate hit when, when this stuff started to get adoption, the, PP, the um, ATT uh, piece of uh, iOS 14.5. And, and I think we were the first public company to actually talk about the impact to the, to the bottom line as a result of that uh, you know well over a year ago now. And uh, because we just saw it happen really, really fast. And so we adjusted as quickly as we could. We re- reallocated dollars. We went other places where we knew we could we could find these customers a little bit more easily. For a weird while, CPMs in that environment actually went up, not down, even though performance you know tanked. And so we're just being nimble and agile with our dollars and moving them to Places where we had a better opportunity to to get reach frequency and some of these like long term brand building type of language was um you know was a way we adjusted and and you know it took a little bit of time for us to kind of get our sea legs on that we're actually at a place now where we're outperforming our performance marketing days in social mm-hmm. um you know obviously at, at, with different al- uh, budget allocations but the efficiencies are actually better not worse.
0: We'll talk about that. Like, how do you flip like your organization's mindset, like we used to do something this way, all of a sudden it doesn't work. Now we have to flip to something else, and that's uncomfortable. Like, talk about how you kind of guided the team through that.
1: Yeah, I'm very lucky that both the leadership on and, and Smaller Club, our CEO uh, the rest of the leadership team, um, are incredibly agile. And so just having, and by the way, also quite involved in our marketing, David uh, Katzman is, is a, you know, is an excellent marketer in his own right. So having, you know, really uh, agile conversations about, uh, you know, the changes we need to make in our marketing are, are easy to have with him because of his engagement there. But also the, the team is really, so because we're so young, because we, it's a part of our nature to learn something, make a change, learn something, make a change. And so this, is, this was just another learn something, make a change. It was a little bit bigger. Um, but really what it became about was putting the, putting the metric on the wall that said, this is the one that matters, right? We're not going to mm-hmm. be able to see that metric anymore. This is the one that matters. And when we're able to make you know, point at that metric, it allowed us to narrow the scrambling um, and, and really focus on, on how we impact the business. Now, mm-hmm. at the same time, um, it became very clear to me that we had to make a much bigger brand transition, um, because we had achieved a lot in in, in maturing, uh, you know, our business, and we were going from being a disruptor, coming into the bit, you know, coming into the category, flipping the tables over, um, you know, and, and upsetting the apple cart, to really being a part of the industry, but one that is a challenger brand. Mm. And so, uh, about a year and a half ago, we really dove in on what it means to be a challenger brand, how to shift our language from disruptor to challenger and so that's a that's more of a brand level conversation and and so you know going out into the market and and doing marketing activities that were more in line with that change um you know we 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 use the the dip if you will in performance to take those dollars and really deliver on that strategy and that's helped Mm. us a lot
0: so as we're in this place now where you've sort of found your sea legs as you said with um more more of the higher level brand metrics and we're sort of entering and existing in this world where there are less, you know, granular tracking metrics available, cookies will be disappearing um from Chrome and, and other browsers like maybe what can we maybe, right? Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> so they say. Um regardless, we're moving towards this more like privacy-centric World, right? So, how does that, um, like, where can we expect to see Smile Direct Club in this context? You know, like as you sort of shift to more brand building and 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 different ways of getting your messages out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you know, and this is public. Uh, you know, we're making a major change to our go to market strategy, and um, it'll be happening kind of over the next quarter. Um, you know, today that kit and scan, and you know, go to the the, the partner network location. Um, you know is the beginning of the process, but we're actually we 've actually invented technology that we 've been investing in for over three years that allows you to start with your mobile phone and do a do a preliminary scan of your teeth and actually see how we would move your teeth before you go through any of that other process right and it moves up that that by now time to much earlier in the in the, in the process and so um you know we we 're shifting from everything being about get to our website and take our smile quiz to Download the app and see what your new smile could look like in minutes, right? Mm. That shift is, is about, you know, consumer behavior, getting them what they want sooner, which is the answer. What are my teeth going to look like at the end? And mm-hmm. so, you know, by creating this consumer experience that becomes our new CTA, um, it's you're dropping a consumer much further into the shopping process and getting buy-in earlier on the critical elements of the of the decision to straighten your teeth. And so, you know, our our, our that change in CTA, that change in where we leave them, that, that change in what data we'll have about their behavior is so different because we're now capturing like like not only their their name, email address, whatever, but but also an immediate image of their smile and just how much we can help them. And so by moving a customer that much further into the into the sales cycle, you, you know, you go from a, a sales process that's a leaky bucket that you have to walk around with for three weeks to something that you know you're you're gonna have the answer to what your smile can look like in three minutes. So the short version is, you know, but by the way, that innovation is three years coming. We started working on that long before iOS 145, long before that was a natural original design of the business. We just had to get here. And it took a, there are ai teams and, and there's some really challenging ai problems in this and, and and what i just described it took them till now to kind of unlock all the pieces of that puzzle and we're here and so now bringing that yeah. experience to life is something you know as a business we are extremely excited about
0: that's is that live now or is it something that you're launching we are, soon we are testing it all over the place
1: and you know expect it to be live in the next quarter
0: Awesome. So I'm sure that we can look out for some interesting work around that too. For sure. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for chatting with me today uh, about the business and about you know your background and how you approach your job. And um, yeah, keep smiling. <laughs> all
1: right. Allison, thank you so much for, for having me on uh, on the podcast.
0: That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.